Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Um, This is actually a message that God gave me several years ago, probably three or four years ago, and I I just remembered it, and I I hadn't preached it yet. Um, But God told me, losing isn't winning. Winning is winning. And uh, this is actually a great message. And when God spoke this to me and told me I should preach on it, I'm finally obeying uh, obeying him. Um, um, he actually gave me a picture uh, from a, a scene of a movie I'd seen when I was like in high school. It was kind of a silly, comedic movie that you know, like teenage boys would watch. It's called uh, it's called Kung Pao: Legend of the Fist. So it's like a, it's a very goofy. It's not you know biblical in any sense. I think it's so. Don't don't. I don't think there's great spiritual revelation in this movie. But there's a scene that, that um, when God spoke to me, he just showed me a scene, like, rewinding me 20 years ago to where I had seen this movie. And there's a scene in this movie, uh, what they do in this movie, they take uh, clips of, like, an old 1970s Chinese martial arts kung fu film. And they take, they take clips of it, and they, they dub over it, and they, they make the words what they want to make them. And it's not, it's, not, I'm, it's not a real translation. They make them silly and stuff. So anyways, there's a scene where this guy is like getting beat up really bad in a kung fu fight. And as he's getting beat up, he's like enjoying it. He's saying like, yes, your fist to my face and your, you know, your foot to my back. And he's like, yeah. And, and these other guys are laughing because they said, well, this is hilarious because we actually trained him from a young age to think that losing is winning. And as I kind of thought about that, I think there's a lot of um, religion that has trained people to think that losing is winning. But losing is not winning. Winning is winning. And it takes a special type of screwed up theology to make people think that losing is winning and that winning is losing. That good is bad and bad is good. But um, the Bible makes it really clear who God is, what his will is. His his will for us is completely good. He is 100% good. He is the father of lights. There is no variance in him at all. He's he's the perfect father. Every gift that comes from him, everything that comes from God is good. Every gift that comes from him is perfect, and there is no changing that. Amen. That's in James. Let's look at that. James 1, 17. Let's look at that. Because I like how he, um, in the 16th verse, he he kind of... um, prefaces this. He says, do not be deceived. So he's saying that there are people who are going to be deceived. That's why he's saying, do not be deceived. He's saying, do not be deceived. There's going to be people who, who say that bad things come from God because he's trying to teach you something. Or, um, But he said, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I love that. So God is 100% good all the time, and everything he gives us, it's good. And he, he, his will for us is amazing. I'm going to kind of talk about that tonight. But um, my first point in realizing that losing is not winning, winning, winning is winning, my first point is this, don't let the enemy walk all over you. And Jesus also made it very clear, very black and white in John 10, 10, what he came to do and what the enemy comes to do. Right? The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Period. Draw a line right there. If it's stealing, killing, destroying, it is from the thief. Who's that talking about? The devil. 
And he said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundant. I like that when Jesus does things, he does it more abundant, right? There's always leftovers. Jesus doesn't supply things. He doesn't run out, right? He, he, he gives things in, in abundance. So Jesus, he is greater than the thief. So if the thief comes after you, don't let him walk all over you. Know who lives inside of you. And as believers, when you know the thief is coming, you can, you can take a stand. You don't have to just roll over and say, well, this is God. You know, um, a couple years ago, short, maybe a couple months after Heather and I got married, we were having lunch um, after church at an uh, Outback Steakhouse on uh, Woodman and I-25. Um, Heather, Heather and I um, met my parents there. We went in, and just like a minute after we went in, she went back outside to get her purse. She had forgotten her purse. And as she went outside, she saw someone broke into her car, broke the window, grabbed the purse, and uh, drove off in a green truck. So she ran inside, said, hey, someone just ran off with my, with my purse. And um, my dad is a John 10, 10 kind of preacher. You know, if, the, if the thief comes, that's not God. That's the devil, and we aren't going to put up with it. So he, he, uh, him and Heather hopped in his car and took off. She knew what the guy looked like. We're going to track this guy down and um, you know, take the law into our own hands. And anyways, they, they went looking for him, and um, they, they drove around some of the neighboring parking lots, and they, they actually saw him parked he was trying to hide in another restaurant nearby in the parking lot. And my dad, uh, this is, I, I wasn't there, thankfully. Uh, but this guy was parked and, um, like, trying to hide out. He knew he, knew he, he had been spotted. And uh, just like the devil, the devil's a coward and, you know, runs away whenever he's confronted. So he's running away. And my dad just um, drove up right in front of him and blocked him in and was, like, revving his engine, you know, at this guy. And... Um, Heather said, you better get out of the way because this guy is crazy. And um, he kind of got out of the way, and the guy just took off. And um, they ended up chasing him. And, and he was going, how fast do you think he was going? About 70 in a neighborhood against traffic. He was going up uh, Rock Rimmon, uh, you know, a neighborhood with houses, going against traffic, um, trying to get away from Pastor Lawson <laughs> and... Aaron's, you know, beautiful wife that he had waited all of his life for. <clears throat> this guy was going against traffic going 70 miles per hour, and my dad was hopping the median, going straight after him in his Toyota 4Runner. And um, the guy actually pulled out uh, a pistol and started shooting back at them in this neighborhood. And my, Heather was on the phone with 911. And um, this, I guess this whole, I'm sure it's all recorded. I, I don't want to hear it because I'll probably be very angry. But... Um, like, apparently, they're saying, you know, this guy stole our purse. We're after him. And uh, he just started shooting. She said, shots fired, shots fired. And uh, um, they kept chasing after him because they were sending police, uh, you know, squad cars after this guy, like, based upon where they were at, where they were going. And uh, anyways, the guy eventually got onto the interstate at Rock Rim and I-25. And, uh, and uh, the cops uh, got on too shortly after. They, they were um, figuring out with, with my dad and Heather uh, where to go, but the guy hopped off just in time before the cops had caught him and got away. And kind of kind of crazy story. I was I was very upset at the time because you know someone had shot at my wife, you know, and I wasn't ready to be a widower 
yet, after, you know, two months of marriage. And um, um, so I don't think the story has been told that often because I was very upset by it at the time. But some time has gone by, and I realized that it was the devil, and the devil's a punk, and he's always going to lose. And as my dad, um, a couple days later, he uh, was on the phone with a, a prophetess by the name of Bobby Jean Merck. And she just said, you know, this guy's going to get caught. He's going to get caught. And um, he ended up getting caught somehow. Um, people, I think, on, on Facebook started talking. They'd spotted this guy robbing cars, um, a repeat offender, and they, they figured out who he was. And um, he got caught, and because, you know, he had even shot, you know, bullets at people, he actually went to jail for 15 years. Um, so, you know, he was a, you know, very not good type criminal, and I'm, I'm glad he's behind bars. And um, um, anyways, the whole point is, don't let the enemy walk all over you, right? And um, really, you know, the devil is a complete loser. And because he's a loser, he wants you to be a loser too. <laughs> but as, as a believer, you are not a loser. You, are, you have the biggest winner of the universe living on the inside of you. So really, the only way the devil can get you to be a loser is to deceive you into thinking that losing is winning. But it's not. Losing is not winning. Winning is winning. And one, one um, thing I see just in, in Christianity, but in just you know, society here, here in America um, as a whole, one of the biggest plagues I see in people's um, mentalities is this plague of victimhood. This plague of victimhood, and um, um, it's almost a religion. It's almost become a religion. I know because um, people who, who've just said, I'm a victim, this happened to me, I'm sting here, there's no hope for me, I'm, I'm stuck here, this is who I am. And if there, there's an opportunity or there's some hope, they'll, they'll get mad at you. They'll get bitterly angry for, for you saying God has something better planned for you. God can heal you. God can restore you. God, God can, can bring you out of this and bring you into that abundant life. But people will get vicious about that. If you say that about them or about other people who they, they say, no, they're, they're never, they're victim, they're, they're never rising up because they're systemically victims. Yeah, I, um, I remember um, when I was going to um, Rice University, I, I, I wanted to connect with other believers on campus, so I got involved with a, uh, a Bible study with other students there on campus, and um, you know, this is kind of the first time I was really exposed to this losing is winning and winning is losing, you know, religion, and um, there's this... Um, PhD, sociology major, um, very sweet person, but um, she, she, she loved, people are victims and they're just trapped there and there's nothing that can be done. And, and uh, she's, she's a, a very sincere person. Her parents were, you know, missionaries in a, a big inner city, but she was just telling me about this, this man that she knew uh, and, uh, you know, he, he had been incarcerated, he had had a tough life, but she just said he, he's stuck, he's, he's never going to, this particular person, you know, based upon his race and based upon his criminal history and based upon this and that and, and 
who his family, like there's, he's just stuck and just the whole system is rigged against him. And, um, you know, he can't, can't get a job, can't make money, can't, 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 can't. And um, I just thought, you know, at the time, um, um, you know, I was, I was working on my doctorate degree in music, but um, God, God had kind of taught me how to make money online, buying and selling high-end watches. It was, it was a kind of supernatural thing how God led me into that. But I, I thought about it and I said, you know, hey, I, I buy and sell stuff online. Um, God helped me get out of debt doing this. Maybe, maybe this guy could do something like that. You know, when, when I sell something on eBay, no one knows what race I am. No one knows my gender. No one knows my age. No one knows my criminal history. No one knows who my parents were. No, it's, it's a completely blind thing. Maybe he could do something. And she's like, no. <sighs> you know, like, how dare you say there's an opportunity for somebody? And... Uh, <laughs> Some people don't even have access to the internet. And uh, I actually, um, the summer before, I didn't have access to the internet because we were evacuated because of the Waldo Canyon fire here. So I actually went to the public library every day to work on my business and got free internet access at the 8th Street Pikes Peak Library. Um, but I, I just realized this, this type, this, this um, you know, victimizing people and identifying people as victims and saying you're going to be stuck as a victim. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a religion where people, people worship their hurt, they worship their misfortunes, they worship their sickness even. Um, I was at a, kind of a, visiting a church in California a few years ago and it's kind of seeker sensitive and they want to reach lots of people. So at the end of the, the, the sermon, the pastor, you know, read a, Prayer had everyone pray this prayer together, and it was a prayer by a, a saint from centuries ago. And I looked up this saint because I was just curious. And this saint, you know, said, Money's evil, don't ever touch money. And he had some kind of sickness, and he called the sickness his brother. And I just thought, That's so messed up. That's some screwed up theology. And, um, you know, God's kind of spoke to me about this, this whole victim mentality thing. And, um, I, I think it's kind of like the fifth type of soil. Jesus talked about the parable of the sower and the four types of soil. And there's the good ground, the, the rocky ground, the wayside, the, the thorn, the thorny ground. But a victim mentality is like salty soil. How many of you have ever tried to plant something in salty soil? John, he's, he's a great landscaping guy. Can you grow anything in salty soil? I've been, I've been to some salty areas before. You know, I've been to the, the Dead Sea. It's extremely salty there. The Dead Sea is like four times saltier than the ocean. Nothing grows on the banks of the Dead Sea. Nothing. You know, and, and that victim mentality, if you really subscribe to that, and it, this hurt, this, this, this is my brother. This is who I am. That there, there isn't any type of seed that God could send you that would cause anything to grow. And God, God is sending seed. He's, he's got his word right here for us. He, he, wants, he wants us to, to be fruitful, to multiply, to be blessed, to have an abundant life. But um, if you just say no, I'm, I'm, 
I'm identifying with the thief and what he wants to do, then, um, and don't, don't do that, amen? Um, there, there's another parable that Jesus talked about, the parable of the talents, and it's in Matthew 25. And um, there's three um, servants in this parable. So a master gives each servant um, a specific amount and goes away for a short time. So he gives one servant five talents, um, which is the equivalent of $5 million. He gives another servant two talents, which is the equivalent of $2 million, and another servant one talent, which is uh, $1 million. And um, he comes back after a period of time. The, the servant who got the five talents um, invested it, worked hard, um, caused it to increase, and, and had five more additions. So he had 10 talents. The, the servant who had two um, got an additional two talents. And then the, the master talks to the guy who he gave one talent to. And, um, you know, one talent, he didn't get as much as everyone else. And this is what got, like, your opportunities in life might be different from the person next to you. Life isn't fair, right? Someone might have different talents, different skills, different background. Maybe, maybe you, you have been hurt. You have been set. Maybe the thief has, has this, this world is not a perfect place. Maybe, maybe you're a one-talent person. But, but that one talent is still something, right? It's still something. And, and you need to look at what God has given you and thank him for what he's given. That, that one talent, turn it into something. So this guy, I, I believe he, he, he is the epitome of someone with a victim mentality. He digs it up out of the ground and, and he, he said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. He's speaking to, to the master who is God. I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So he, the, the, they're, they're, I, I kind of see three trademarks of a victim mentality. So the first one is um, blaming others. Master, you're a hard man. I'm going to blame you. This, this goes back to Adam and Eve. Adam screws up and, hey, I'm the victim here. It's, it's the woman that you gave me. I'm going to double blame it here. Blaming others. He had the wrong image of God. God is not hard-hearted. He's tender-hearted. He's slow to wrath, full of mercy, full of compassion. You know, Lord, you, you reap where you haven't sown and gather where you've not scattered seed. Is that, no, that master, he scattered seed, right? He invested. He gave one guy five talents, one guy two talents, one guy one. He invested $8 million with these stewards. So, so he, you reap where you have not sown. You know, these people just, just, they're just successful, and you're just successful, and, and you're just fortunate, and I'm not. I, I think that that's very pessimistic. The second trademark of victim mentality, blaming others, uh, pessimism. The second one, I, be careful not to be constantly pessimistic. It's not a, it's not a godly thing. Um, thirdly, he said, I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. So that third trademark of victim mentality is fear. Fear will, will, will hinder people, will paralyze people from, from seizing those opportunities and stepping out, exercising faith, putting, putting to use what God has given you, and just really stepping out into that blessing and um, just, just putting up a fight when the enemy is trying to, trying to rot, steal kill and destroy. Fear will hinder you from doing that. And uh, one thing I'm glad to know about 
my father and my wife, they, they aren't afraid. So they kept going after that guy. Heather was afraid. I think she was on the floorboard, which I, I'm glad. So um, a little more bullet protection down there. So. so don't let the enemy walk all over you. Amen. Losing isn't winning. Winning is winning. Uh, second point. Now that we know that, that Jesus came, that you might have an abundant life. And it's the, the way God gives gifts, good, perfect gifts, it's, it's, it's more than you can think. And even, even in the midst of, of, of going through a tough time where, where you know, that there are demonic forces in the world today. This world has been affected by sin, by Satan, by, by people who yield themselves. Um, there, are, there are evil forces in the world today. There, there's an anti-Christ spirit in the world today that we will face persecution. Everything isn't just going to be butterflies and, and rainbows. Um, you know, so what, what do we do when, when we are facing things like that? You know, don't, don't bow down to it. Don't let the enemy walk all over you. I, I was kind of thinking about this, and um, I just saw, saw an account in the Old Testament that's just very prophetic of, of what God wants to do with us, even in the midst of opposition, even in the midst of of going through very distressing times. And even in the midst of a distressing time in your life, God wants to make you an advertisement of his goodness. So that's my next point. God wants to make you an advertisement of his goodness. I was thinking of the book of Esther. There was a man named Mordecai who just would not bow down. He sensed, he sensed some ungodly spiritual activity, working through other people, working through a man by the name of Haman. Haman was one of the top people in government from that time. And, and um, Mordecai just wouldn't bow down. Everyone else bowed down to him, but just something in Mordecai said, I'm not going to bow down to this guy. And uh, we can read about it here in Esther. Let's look at Esther really quick. I think this is really cool. And I think this is actually an example, a prophetic example of what God wants to do with us through Jesus. So Esther 3, let's read here in um, verse 1 through 6. So Haman, um, just a very evil person. Verse 1 says, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadetha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. There's something in Mordecai, he just, I'm not going to bow down to this guy. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily and he would not listen to them that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. Now Haman is the second most powerful person in this entire empire. And one, you know, guy at the bottom of 
of society, this Jew who was taken away from Israel, Mordecai just wouldn't bow down, down to him. So even though he had all this power, all, just that one guy who wouldn't bow down, just really, I don't have enough power. I have to have more control. I have to control this guy's will. So when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom, all of these people of Mordecai. Talk about a demonic overreaction. This one guy won't bow down to me. I can't control him, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way just to wipe out all of these people. That, that type of anti-God spirit is still in the world today. This one little church in town won't bow down. They won't bow down. They still want to use the name of Jesus on their bus benches. They still think they can gather. They still think that they're essential to society. We're going to make them all pay. God can turn things around. God wants to make you an advertisement of his goodness no matter what's going on around you, no matter what the circumstances. Let's look at Esther 6, verse 1. So it says, That night the king could not sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they read, they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of big Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? So God, God can work out divine, divine things. He can change people's hearts. He can put a thought in someone's mind, a thought in someone's heart. The king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. So the king said, who's in the court? The number two guy in all the land, Haman, had just entered into the outer court of the king's palace to suggest. He was coming in there when the king was going to bed. I'm going to talk to the king right at night and suggest when he's tired and not really thinking right, hey, let's hang Mordecai. He had come there to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to him, oh, here's Haman standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights. I love this turnaround. Man, we serve the, a, a God of turnaround. Man, what, what an amazing turnaround right here. Where this ungodly, evil, demonic, anti-Christ, anti-God spirit is just seething in this guy. He's powerful. He, he's got a lot more stout than Mordecai. I'm ready to hang him. I already got the gallows ready to go. And, and God just turns it around like that. What shall be done for this man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? 
Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That applies to everyone. And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head, then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor, then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall it be to the man whom the king delights to honor. Mordecai, uh, Haman was kind of prophesying here. God, God was uttering like a prophetic type word through this donkey, through this complete King James Version donkey here. I won't, I won't use that Termino terminology tonight. I guess my dad said Lester Summerall used that describing a certain reporter who wrote a bad article about him in his church in South Bend, he said he was a complete donkey from the pulpit. Because this guy was mad that Lester Summer and his church were winning. Let's... So what happens? The king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And he was walking through that town with his donkey tail between his legs. God delights in honoring you. God wants to make you an advertisement of his goodness. He, thus it shall be to the man, to the woman whom the king delights to honor. We serve King Jesus. He wants to place his royal robe on you, his robe of righteousness, his robe of joy, his robe of healing, his robe of peace. He wants to place it on you. He wants you to ride around in style on his horse. He wants to parade you and show you off. Yay. He wants to make you an advertisement of his goodness. Psalm 35, verse 27 says, Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure. In the prosperity of it. That's, that's talking about winning right there. It's so clear in the Bible. It takes a special kind of theology to... To screw this up, 2 Corinthians 2.14, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. I love what other translations say. The New Century Version says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ. Victory prayed. He wants to parade us around in victory. Amen? So God wants to make us an advertisement of his goodness and I kind of, my last point is actually a question. You know, why are we winners? You're a winner. Say, I'm a winner. I'm not a winner, I'm a winner. I'm a winner. Why are we winners? Because of G he actually paid the price for us to win, for us to be victorious. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The curse is the very definition of losing. It's the very definition of defeat. It means to completely lose and to keep on losing. If you read about the curse, Deuteronomy 28, verse 15 through 68, I'm not going to read through it all tonight. It is, it is, losing is losing is losing is losing. The curse is losing. Sickness is losing. Disease, losing. Impoverishment, losing. Military defeat, losing. Mental anguish, losing. Torment, losing. Depression, anxiety, fear, relational brokenness. Despising your own life, not even wanting to live. Complete and utter despair. Christ has redeemed us from this, from all of that. The word redeem means, means to pay for, to buy back. You weren't created to be a loser. You were created to be a winner. Adam was deceived. People get deceived. They, 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 they give authority to the, to the enemy. But Christ has redeemed us from that curse he bought us back and put us where God initially wanted to have us, in a place of victory, in a place of honor, in a place where he wants to advertise how good he is to us. And, and redeem means to make a payment, right? So, so this, is so, this, is, this is so valuable to God, this payment that Christ paid for it. Now, I, I've, I've said this before, but there's some new people here tonight, so this, this is actually a... a a good thought. You know, what determines something's value? It's an economic question. You know, what determines something's value? What determines the price of gas? What determines the price of bread? What determines the price of home? What, what, determines, what determines something's value? Yeah, generally people say, well, it's, it's, it's someone's willingness to pay. But it's not just someone's willingness to pay. What determines something's value is the highest, the highest person, person's willingness to pay. For instance, if I were to take this watch, and I know it's a nice watch. I, I got it for a good deal. I'm going to sell it for more money. I'm going to tie it to the church. So don't get mad at this preacher for wearing a fancy watch. If I were to say, you know, this, this is a, it's a, it's a Breitling watch. It's, it's a very nice watch. They've been around for 100 years. They're the first watch to, to have a stopwatch built in into a watch. So pilots would wear them so that in World War I, World War II, when they take off, they know how long they've been in the air. They know when they need to go back down and get gas. So pilots love it. Kenneth Copeland is a pilot. He loves Breitlings. So if I, if I were to say, who would give me $100 for this watch tonight? Who, who would, if I did an auction, $100. Right, there's a few $100. How about $200? And you guys need, there's an opportunity here. Some of you guys might have a victim mentality where you're like, well, I'm not even going to bid $200. I might, 
I'm afraid. Pastor Aaron might be lying to me. That might be... <clears throat> Who would give me a thousand? Well, some, some people, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going <laughs> to... Who would give me 2,000? <laughs> Michelle, Heather, Heather is, how about 2,500? Maybe. So there are several people willing to pay $100. Is this watch worth $100? Or is it worth more? There's a person or two who are pretty sure they'd pay 2,500 bucks. Would I sell it to the person who offered me 100 or would I sell it to the person who offered me 2,500? So the highest bidder determined the value of this item, right? So maybe, maybe what, what, are, what are you worth? What determines your value? Is it, what, is it what society thinks you're worth? Is it what your boss thinks you're worth? Is it what your second grade teacher thought you were worth when she gave you a B, the only B you got in your life? <laughs> Pastor Aaron? Because she was trying to teach me a lesson. She was trying to play God and do something bad to inspire me to try to be better. Some kind of screwed up teacher philosophy. <laughs> is, it, is it the, you know, the, the guy or gal who broke up with you, who didn't treat you right? Is it... And what determines your value? Who, who, pay, who, who thinks you're worth the most? Jesus does. He said, you're, you're worth so much to me. You're worth so much to me. I love you so much. I care so much about you that I, I'd give my life for you. That's what you're worth. So don't, don't sell yourself out Say, oh, I'm going to identify as this. I'm going to identify as someone who's broken, someone who's been betrayed, someone who's hurt, someone who's been called dumb, someone who's been called not enough. Don't. That's not who you are. You're valued. You're accepted in the beloved, right? You're righteous. You have his peace. You have his, his joy. You have his... You have his abundant life on the inside of you. He paid the price. He paid, he, he paid for your de defeat so you could be victorious. Right? He wants, he wants you to be blessed. He wants that, that abundant life is the blessing. He paid for you to be a winner. And, and you know what? When I, when I would play games, you know, do sports, when I when I arm wrestled my brothers, when I won, I said, I'm the winner. I didn't say, oh, I'm the loser. I said, no, I'm the champion. I'm the winner. I'm the, you're a loser. I'm a winner, right? Some of you are like, well, let's be humble. I'm just a poor old sinner in need of a savior. You're not a sinner anymore. You're a saint. You're righteous. It's been paid for you. 
You, you are victorious. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? So you can say this with me. This is my conclusion. It's a confession. I have a short version. I have a long I'm going to do the long version here. I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. Jesus Christ is the undefeated, unmatched, unsurpassed champion of the universe. He lives in me. Now I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His grace, his love, his power, it's freed me. It's transformed me. It empowers me. I'm not going to let the enemy walk all over me. I'm not going to let him steal from me. I'm not going to let him kill me. He's not going to destroy me. Jesus came to give me the abundant life. That's the life I'm going to live. I am the one in whom the king delights. I am marching in his victory parade. I'm a winner because Jesus shed his blood for me. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.